If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today, unfortunately, I don't have Hedjun on to talk soccer and talk about his reactions to Jose Mourinho. But I do have a special guest on, and his name's Tyler Fern. He's a good friend of mine, former roommate all four years throughout college. So we always talk soccer, and he's a huge Man United fan. So I was really interested to get his insight on what he thought about Jose Mourinho's firing, uh, the type of legacy Jose Mourinho left at Manchester United, and also the type of full-time manager that he wanted to fulfill Jose Mourinho's shoes and some uh, a position that hasn't been filled since Sir Alex Ferguson left um, uh, about five years ago. So we talk a lot about Manchester United. We talk a little bit about Liverpool and how they kind of provided the catalyst for Manchester United to let Jose go. And then we also get into a lot of the juicy Champions League matchups that were released on Monday. So we talk, break that down, um, and analyze a bit about what's going on in terms of Champions League matchups. So sit back, enjoy, and let's give my friend Tyler a call. Hi, this is Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. I mean... Hey, how's it going? We got some crazy, crazy news um, with all the stuff that's going on in world football, Premier League stuff, Champions League stuff, but there's no other way to start the podcast other than talking about Jose Mourinho, Manchester United. Manchester United finally stacks him um there's just like all this stuff going on about what happened all the sources the the other you know third party type of news all this type of stuff that's going on what is your reaction from all of that news going on as a Manchester United fan I felt like I needed to get you on the podcast to talk about all this stuff Oh my God! First of all, so relieved. I <laughs> cannot even explain. I literally saw the notification like when I was still half asleep in the morning. I think it came through at like seven a.m. Eastern time, and I yep. thought I was like dreaming because <laughs> I couldn't believe. I figured if anything was going to happen after that Liverpool game, it would be um, almost immediate after. But they decided to wait a little bit. And sort of in between the matches, um, announced it a little bit later. And like I said, my first reaction is just a sigh of relief. I feel like a dark cloud has been lifted off of our, our whole, not even just like the the playing style and like the recent results, but just it feels like the fan base and like the whole brand was just starting to get really just dark and going from bad to worse and I don't know how much longer I could have taken that 
it's just like as a fan it was getting harder and harder to just watch these games and watch everything fall apart <laughs> yeah and i think it started to get bad over the last i would say couple months or so um i mean Mourinho had a really great i would say like last year he played they played really well under him uh for the team that they had talent wise um and i think it it just became over the season when they weren't getting the results that they were getting and they were just having defeat after defeat and very discouraging results um from competition that they should have been easily winning in yeah it just i don't know it just felt like they there was something off with this team and maybe that was the relationship between Mourinho and Woodward in the front office um and then Mourinho and his star players like him and Pogba's re- relationship was not great Pogba hadn't start started a game for the past couple of Premier League games um and was just glued to the bench so it it seemed like there was a lot of tension going on to say the least uh yeah. within that locker room yeah, and about the Pogba thing, I know last time it was you, myself, and Hedging talking, we had a lot of back and forth about Mourinho versus Pogba, who was causing more trouble, what was the real issue at hand. And I just want to say that, you know, I, I'm i the first to admit that Pogba, his form in the past few weeks was definitely slipping. Like, he was not playing well. Um, but when it comes to the problems, I'm not saying that Mourinho is the only problem that Man United had. Let me just get that out there first mm-hmm. and foremost, because there's a lot of issues, and this is just sort of a first step in making um, a turnaround and getting back um, where we should be. However, I do think that if you have a player like Pogba, who's arguably one of the best midfielders in the world, I mean, especially when you throw in his summer um, and the the World Cup victory and all that and his involvement in that. And he had a very good World Cup and also his history and him being still pretty young. Um, if he is posing a, an issue in the dressing room and at training, that is something that can more easily be managed um, as opposed to if you have a manager who is the one who is like becoming toxic and then that affects everything um going up to the executives and down to the players. Whereas if you have a player who sure he doesn't have a good attitude, maybe he's in a bad run of form. That's something that you need to like identify and work on as a manager and not just alienate and isolate. um, And then just basically stop getting anything out of one of your arguably best players in the squad. So I hope that this can be a turning point for Pogba as well to really, um, to really grow up and sort of mature now that he has this opportunity handed to him um, where the limelight, you know, is off of all this drama and bickering between him and the manager and the conflicting egos. And hopefully now we can just get back to playing well um, on the field. Yeah. And I think that it clarifies where Woodward kind of stands with his players. And he's basically saying, Hey, Pogba, get your shit together before we ship your ass off too. Um, yeah. basically, basically say, stating like, oh, it's Mourinho that's gone this time. Like, I think in any sport, whether it's like 
Premier League, football, basketball, soccer, whatever you, whatever sport it is, they look towards the manager first to kind of make a shakeup and a change. And then if that's not working, then maybe they'll start looking at some of the players to change out too. But I thought it was the logical step for this Man U team to kind of change things up and really energize the fan base because they're sitting currently sixth in the table right now. And it's been a struggle for them all year to kind of show some type of positive results. And hopefully with Mourinho leaving, um, that changes things. And Pogba starts kind of in asserting himself as that star player. He kind of imprints his, like, I don't know, basically makes a huge mark on this Man U team, uh, like he did with the French national team. And I've been having, like, private conversations with a lot of other Man U fans, and it seems like to me, just as an outsider looking in, that they really need – it seems like they really miss, like, that veteran type of leadership um, in, as a player. Like, it's like I know Rooney's uh, format's fallen off, but like a, a, a veteran player like Rooney or someone like Zlatan, even though he was like a crazy dude, like he was a yeah. veteran guy. Or For sure. Like, like they're just – it just seems like they're missing that guy or like someone like, um, I don't know, back in the day, like – Michael Carrick or one of those type of players. That, yeah, like a Roy Keane or somebody even. Right, you know? like keeps the keeps the locker room together, like Rio, Ferdinand, like it, it, just one of those like leader leadership type of guys that they haven't had. And because this team is skewing kind of, it's not that it's an old team or a young uh, or a super young team, but it's a team that doesn't seem to have a lot of dominant personalities I would say other than like Pogba and he's like I would say he's still a little young and not one of those veteran type of guys yet to be to be kind of like the voice of the team so it I I think that's something that maybe that they should be looking for within the transfer window and that and the thing is the hard part about that is it gets tough with trying to bring like such a strong presence into the team. Exactly. It, you can't really those, buy that. Right. Those things have, have to be like organically grown within the squad. Um, and over and time. I don't, right. And over time. And that trust has to be built. So I don't even right. know who that next natural guy is, that next natural leader is on the field uh, for Man U. And I think that from a micro level, like just reading like emotions and being that armchair doctor, that's something that man you've been struggling with. Yeah. And honestly, that I think is part of the reason why they looked to uh, Solskjaer for the interim manager role, because right. Although he's not on the field, he is, you know, a club legend and he's still relatively young. Um, I mean, you know, he played with, Rooney and Ronaldo um, mm-hmm. and all, all that generation even. So he's not that far removed um, from from the, the team that's still there. It is about, you know, a generation of players have gone by that he 
played with. So um, I do think that he can provide that kind of spark, though, in the in the locker room, and really illustrate um, by example like what it means to play for this club and what kind of um, you know football should be out there on the field week in and week out. Right, and I, I guess before we even get into the the Solskjaer, like um, the the caretaker role that he's going to be taking on, what I did want to do was like kind of bookend the Mourinho era in terms of like posing this question to you. Now, what is his legacy at United? Slash, where does he go from here? Like, do you think he gets an opportunity pretty quickly uh, for him to? manage at a club like I mean there's been a ton of rumors going around that he might go to Inter Milan that he might go to Real Madrid um, all these different rumors and places like if you had to pick a place would he is he going to take the rest of the year off or is he going to jump right back into it um, so just to bookend the Mourinho conversation here yeah I mean um, I'll try my best to be unbiased but you know <laughs> of all people <laughs> Yeah, I I was openly not a fan of Mourinho ever since it was. I mean, ever since I've been watching him be a manager, but especially when it was announced, you know, that he was going to be coming to United. However, with that being said, you know, I was willing to give it a chance because you know, I still have to support the club, um, even if I don't necessarily agree with everything that's Sounds going like on. Like you're being held at gunpoint there. I know, right? I mean, yeah. um, you know, but no, I did honestly want to you know roll with it and hope for the best and so in terms of what he's his legacy is i mean he definitely had a transitional squad in the time he was here i mean we had a lot of players in and out like you said you know ibrahimovic was here rooney was still here and then you know going for lukaku and trying to get our new defenders like lindelof and by um that was all a lot of movement, and for the most part, it looked like it was going well. Um, and he did, you know, get that Europa League victory, second place behind Man City, Man City last year, is unstoppable. Um, and so, on paper, you know, there was success for sure. Um, but I know what I will remember more is the the way that the team was playing and that how often I was questioning the lineups and the tactics and just scratching my head being like, how do you take this group of players and put out a a performance like that in terms of so, you know, stale and lacking creativity and excitement. And it just, as time went on, it looked like the players were losing their, you know, will to go attack and have any fun out there. You know, it just, the the atmosphere of Old Trafford and the the energy that you could see in the players themselves that's what I will remember more um, unfortunately and that's why you know I was just getting so fed up with it um, and then your other question about his uh, you know career from here on out I definitely think somebody will give him a job I mean just because I don't like the guy doesn't mean there aren't you know, dozens of clubs that would be willing, uh, you know, to pay top dollar for him based on his, you know, record and clubs less, you know, 
worried about the type of football that's being played and more worried about having some allure um, to sell tickets or having like someone with proven track record in many different leagues. Um, I mean, I could easily see him going to, you know, maybe the, the Turkish league or somewhere in Asia, perhaps. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's employed next season. Yeah. I mean, I think what's fascinating about like you taking us kind of through what Mourinho had kind of done and gone through. And I mean, my friend who's a huge uh, Man U fan tagged me in this like Facebook post where Jose at United has won three trophies, has finished in second and had a win rate of 58% while Klopp at Liverpool has currently won zero trophies and they finished in fourth twice and a win rate of 51%. So it's like, it just, maybe there's raised expectations at Man United um, for a lack of, patience because of the club that they're the the tradition and the winning tradition that they're used to at Man U and maybe some of the lack of patience there and I I do think to give Mourinho a fair shake he was given a pretty unfair squad to compete with um, in terms of Woodward didn't seem like he was working that well Uh, with Mourinho in terms of um, the right types of guys to bring into the squad. For sure. And in terms of, it just seemed like it was always disjointed between both of those guys in terms of not having a common vision as to the type of football they played. Because we already knew that Mourinho could succeed in high-level football. He's proven that all over the world, all over Europe. Um, even in the English Premier League with Chelsea. Um, yeah. He's proven that. But I think the difference that that was the, between those places and here was that he had to work with someone like Woodward, and he didn't have final say on some of the guys that he would be bringing in um, in yeah. terms of all that stuff. So I think you have to give him a little bit of that where he got maybe a little bit of a raw deal there, which I think you did. And, but at the same time, if you're a really great manager, I think at, you have to put the players in the right position to succeed, regardless of who the players are. And he wasn't doing that on a consistent basis. And at the same time, to answer my own second question, I think he does get picked up not even by like a Turkish. I think he gets picked up yeah. by a big, big squad um, next year. Really? Whether whether it be Inter Milan, I feel I like think he's Mo- going to be like in China or Turkey or something. One of those clubs that's just trying to spend a lot of money to get a big name manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Jose's not going to want this to be his last spot to tarnish his legacy. In that, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to try to reframed the argument of him not maybe being that great of a manager whereas I don't think this is the type of legacy that he wants to leave for himself and he's pretty conscious and mindful of those types of things even though it seems like he doesn't care um, in press conferences and things like that but I think he's pretty mindful of that and he's going to want to reframe the argument as to him being one of the best managers who've ever lived or ever. Um, and I think that he, he's going to be on the lookout to 
look at a squad, whether it be inner, and if Real keeps on struggling like they have been, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he goes back there either. Because I what don't about know what about a um, what about a, a stint at a national club or a national team level? That would be fascinating. Maybe to shake well, things too. up a little bit for himself yeah. as well. Yeah, and it would be something that would serve him. I think would be very wide ranging in that he would take different types of jobs and could bring. Uh, or meet different types of expectation and objectives for different squads. I think that would be fascinating. But I think Real is the squad to look after, especially if they keep on struggling the way they have been this season. He might be going over there. Um, I think that's a popular popular move um, that a lot of pundits have been predicting lately. But let's move on to Skull. uh, I can't even pronounce his name. The new manager, Skull's. Is it Skullscar? Skullshar. Skullshar. Yeah. So oh, got to work on your Norwegian pronunciation. I know. Yeah, the lettering, <laughs> the lettering is very confusing looking at his last name. Um, but he's going to be the caretaker manager, and he's going to take care of this team for the rest of the season. Um, and I think, I think it was a solid move uh, from where they were at. I don't think they had many options uh, realistically to be able to try to replace uh, a similar caliber type of manager mid-season like this. And right. there were, I'm sure there were some types of men. Obviously, the Man U connection definitely helped um, him coming back and being able to serve as manager. I mean, looking at his record, it hasn't been great at previous stops that um, – I th- like there were, I think he was in uh Molda which is like a Norwegian team or one of those yeah, Scandinavian he, teams. He was, I think he won the the league title with them twice. Right, but I think the I think the stop before that I think he kind of struggled in um yeah. where he I think it was a high let me I'm looking this up on Wikipedia as it as it stands he right was now. With Cardiff and when they got relegated. Right. He was with Cardiff when they got re- relegated and I think that was the I think that was the team that I was referring to. Yeah. The That's the only time moment. he's been in the Premier League as a manager. Right. So and very brief and unsuccessful. Right. Super brief, unsuccessful. So I'm kind of curious as to how he ends up changing up the tactics, what what type of management he has with some of the players, this management style that he has with the players. I think you alluded to a little bit of maybe a more player friendly manager because of maybe he, he's not too far removed from playing with the Roonies of the world. Yeah, and I mean, playing with he's only 45 years old. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's more friendly in that way and more of a player's manager. And I'm, I'm sure for him, it's like a, pretty good audition to see whether or not he can actually take this job full time or not but what are you expecting from him and then looking further out what are you looking for in a long-term manager and is there anyone in mind that you have that can probably possibly fulfill the shoes of this man you void that Sir Alex has kind of left since he's left uh left the club um managing the club. Yeah. Um well first I think Solskjaer is gonna bring in hopefully, I mean it 
has to be um, almost like a breath of fresh air, some enjoyment in in watching the games again. Um, there was actually a point in the Liverpool United game where I was wondering if the players even practice attacking um, in training all week because it just looked like they didn't know what to do to go forward. They just wanted to go sideways and backwards. And then when they were trying to attack, it was like they didn't know what was going on. And I'm like, do they even do like shooting drills? <laughs> have, they, <laughs> have they even like got the chance to run at goal and try to make something happen? Um, because that's all that, you know, Solskjaer was about as a player. It was, he was like a, a perfect poacher, super sub. All he did was, get goals out of nothing um you know whether it was a rebound or like uh you know wrong footing the keeper dribbling around him he was just constantly had one thing in his mind it was put the ball in the back of the net and i can only hope that some of that is going to now bleed into training um with this current squad and i just hope that it you know it gets a little bit more fun i just want to you know bang in some goals and get some get some results and run up the scoreboard and and you know just sort of enjoy ourselves for the rest of the season because it's it's two things you know one is actually you know going for the title trying to win as many games as possible but you know if we're sitting six like 20 points off of the lead halfway through the season that's clearly not attainable so the other thing then is like, let's just have some fun, you know, let's play some good soccer. Let's, you know, let's, let's make, let's make, uh, you know, these players and make the fans feel like their, their hard earned money is being spent on something good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think for them, like that's all that they, that's all the focus should be on right now because If he can get something out of Pogba, something out of Lukaku, that's right. that's I think that's the hope. Hopefully, he's able to teach some of that clinical finishing that he had in his playing days to Lukaku to some of these players that have honestly been struggling um, yeah. over the past month, two months, basically this whole season, honestly. And hopefully that he's a hopefully he's able to get this squad going in the right direction and and for his first game they have cardiff coming up so it's yeah. a pretty easy cupcake game right so, the script right there right? i know exactly him it's against his old, his old squad club. yeah yeah um you know cardiff's definitely going to be coming out uh very motivated in that game but oh, yeah. it's just but it just seems like i mean i think for me as i look at it it just seems like they're going to try to float and float on water type of this is like a float on water type of season in that we're just trying to survive and I don't really foresee any big changes coming up in the winter transfer window and that I don't know how how ambitious they are going to be in terms of wanting to take on more money um, or spending more money and I think the more wholesale changes are going to happen next summer when yeah when they finalize a full-time manager and all that type of stuff. So you didn't even get to answer my question. What, what type of manager would you want slash 
who's the manager that's like on the top of your wish list because Pochettino has been the one that Man U has their eye on long term. Um, And it seems like that's the guy that they really want. And I'm not exactly sure if he would leave to go to Man U, especially with what he's built up at Spurs. And it seemed like he was in the front running for that Real Madrid job, but I think he turned it down. I'm not exactly sure, but it seems pretty hard to believe if he's going to turn down Madrid, Real Madrid. I don't know if he's going to go to Man U. So I don't know what your thoughts were on possible replacements um, for a full-time manager. Yeah, so obviously Pochettino would be huge, um, but I think that's a little presumptuous even of Man United um, to assume that he would accept that role, like you were just saying, um, because obviously he's done great things, you know, even coming um, coming up with Southampton and, and, you know, bringing that squad that has historically been sort of like a, an academy for the giants of the premier league if you will um up to like sixth and eighth you know he was consistently finishing um in the top half of the table and you know recently they've been struggling in the relegation battle and then obviously what he's done with spurs um although they haven't quite had um the trophies and success on on paper like that they've definitely been playing really well and they've been able to keep a lot of their talent um and it's been really fun to watch. However, like you were saying, um, he's not really that inclined to leave, especially to come to United in a club that's at its the current state that the club's in. Um, I think he's on contract until 2023 now. Um, so mm-hmm. that would be another huge expense to buy out his club. And also that would just be, you know, if I hadn't heard that about Real, but I mean, if that's true that he's turned down Real, then, what is supposed to incentivize them to come to United. Um, so I'm obviously that would be awesome. I, I support that, that he would be our first choice, but I don't know how realistic that is at all. Um, but that really makes it difficult because I also don't think Solskjaer is, you know, auditioning for a, for, for a permanent role yet. Um, right. Because he just doesn't have the experience, uh, you know, unless we have a miraculous six months ahead of us, which by all means, that would be amazing. But, um, you know, he's not quite there yet, I don't think, either. Um, so that leaves the pool um, not that large, I would say. Um, I heard Laurent Blanc was in the running for this caretaker spot, and that's someone I would be intrigued by um, based on previous success. But And he also played for United a few years, um, which is nice. But I'm honestly a little hesitant to say, but I'm... I'm more inclined to maybe just hand it to someone a bit younger and with, you know, some Premier League experience. Um, like, I would honestly look at somebody like Eddie Howe. Yeah, um, that was, that's an interesting choice. You know, it's, it's not, you know, here I am talking about how Solskjaer doesn't have the experience, but, you know, Howe has been in the Premier League with Burnmouth a couple of years and done pretty well to be honest um Mm -hmm. and he seems to have a good um history of bringing up some young guys giving them a chance you know holding on to talent like getting Ake to come back after you know he was there on loan from Chelsea that sort of thing 
Um, so somebody like that, I also heard mention of even like, um, Gareth Southgate after his success with England. Um, mm. I think that would be really interesting too. Again, playing with the youth, younger squad of players. Um, that's always been something that was big in the history of United, um, way back, you know, through, through the years that, we we like to you know draw from our academy and give youngsters a chance. Um, so those would be sort of my two long shot, but kind of intrigued by um, candidates. I would I would put them in the running. But as I said, obviously you know somebody like Pochettino would be amazing. But it is getting a little bit difficult to sell this position to a manager, especially with all the you know stubbornness and frankly, antics that seem to be coming from the owners and the executives. Yeah, and I think that's got to be, for whoever the next manager is, because yeah. there there've been a long, now there's a couple managers that have been, I mean, trying to fill the void of Sir Alex Ferguson, but haven't been able to do it. And, you know, we, they went with Moyes at first, and then they've tra- they trans- transitioned to Van Gaal, and then Mourinho was a big splashy move and they haven't been able to get the right guy in the right fit. And I think my thinking was in that whatever it was with Woodward back then and um, Sir Alex, like Sir, I think he, since Sir Alex was such a club legend, he had so much autonomy with the club um, that he was able to make a lot of decisions on his own. And I think there's been a lot of meddling between the ownership and how involved they've been trying to get into um, a lot of these front office executive type of decisions. Woodward hasn't been great over the past couple of years and being able to do that. And they, whoever the next manager is has to make sure that they're on the same exact page as Woodward. And if they don't have that unified vision, it's going to be extremely tough for them to move forward and probably have, a repeat of the decision in terms or repeat of the stuff that's been happening over the past couple of years um, in trying to replace Sir Alex, because I think even transitioning on uh, looking into what Liverpool's done with Jurgen Klopp, like they've basically given him a lot of freedom and autonomy to do what he needs to do to bring in the players that he needs. And for sure. And that's, if they have that unified vision, I wouldn't be surprised if United gets to the top quicker than uh, than most teams. So it, w- it would be fascinating to see how or Southgate in in that role as well, because they've had success, varying degrees of success with their teams. And I I I mean Southgate I think would be fascinating because he knows a lot of those players. Um, yeah especially around the league. He has to scout a lot of these English Premier League players. So he has an understanding of English football, even if he hasn't managed on that level. So I think it would be pretty fascinating um, to kind of see how this all shakes out. Yeah, definitely stay tuned for everything that will surely be happening next summer. Right. So I did want to transition on and talk about the games that actually happened this past weekend and maybe the catalyst for what ended up causing Mourinho to get fired and get sacked 
was that game against Liverpool, 3-1 victory for Liverpool. As a Liverpool fan, I was extremely excited. Maybe Man U fans are somewhat secretly excited, too, that they lost <laughs> because they got rid of Mourinho. But um, I, I wouldn't thought, go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought Liverpool played a great game. It didn't really. It was. It seemed like one of those games that Liverpool was going to end up drawing. Just like yeah. in the middle of the second half, they had a lot of the opportunities. I thought they had a lot of the better play. They had, they had the majority of the possession. I think it was sixty-five, thirty, thirty-five uh, yeah, possession percentage. Were- just downright embarrassing. Yeah. 35 it was like a, shots to like 10 or 6. Or I think something. it was like 6 or something. 36 yeah. to 6. It was so yeah. for those for the it's listeners absurd. that yeah, for the listeners that don't know, me and Tyler played FIFA a lot a lot in college as roommates. <laughs> like we kept a tally of how many like I think the tally got to some ridiculous amount of games. We're like, into the triple digits. <laughs> we're we're into like the 200-ish <laughs> games or so um, in our sophomore year of college. And we have this joke because Tyler is infinitely better than me at FIFA that he would have a lot more of the possession and get a ton more shots off where where I would just kind of like grind out wins or grind out ties and try to get like it's one, so frustrating. Yeah, take advantage Devin of one Devin is the Mourinho of FIFA. Basically. Basically. <laughs> so whenever I say, like, oh, basically that was a FIFA game between me and Tyler, that's the meaning of what ended up transpiring in the Liverpool Man U game uh, with Tyler I remember you. Liverpool. <laughs> I remember you once won a match with, with zero shots on target the entire match. Zero, zero shots, yeah. And it, that definitely frustrated you a ton. So... It it kind of it kind of reminded me and took me back to college and thought yeah. about all of our FIFA matches because Liverpool looked extremely dominant but they weren't able to take advantage of the, true. their chances until Shakiri ended up getting subbed in and, and then what a it signing just, he's been so far huh how much better oh do you feel about God. his squad now <laughs> yeah and he just completes the squad it's like he's one of those depth signings that has become. Like, he's been one of those super subs type of signings that you just bring on every game and you know you're going to get a raise in play and energy from him. And I'm surprised that Jurgen Klopp hasn't started him more. And when they've been... It seems like he's cherishing that that option of of putting him on to change a game instead, even more than starting him from the beginning. Yeah, he's been relishing the role that he's been playing. And... He hasn't had a diva attitude about not starting games where he probably would start in a lot of other teams. Yeah. But he, but he's really like relishing the role that he's playing, and he he's he's been one of my favorite players this year, just in terms of he's like this really small diminutive type of guy, and he's just like he's attracting all this attention um, to him. Him and Salah have like an unreal connection in terms of them trying to them finding each other um, on the yeah. field. And it's been really impressive to see Shakiri ended up scoring two goals um, to kind of dis- distance themselves from Man U and win that game three, one, but it definitely did give me some concern 
like it was getting close like close to the middle of the second half and I was like dang we're creating so many chances but nothing is happening and I was just waiting I was just waiting and waiting for there to be like a man you counter attack and then them inevitably scoring a goal and kind of like crushing Liverpool's dreams but that wasn't the case at all and I think I think that game just kind of crystallized for man, upper management for Man U why man, or Mourinho wasn't the manager for them. Yeah, it sort of was like the the last straw. I mean, we had been playing badly for a while now, um, but it sort of kept squeezing out results. I mean, like that game against Juventus where we won two to one after getting destroyed pretty much the whole game. Like, so these have just been sort of like okay, it's still all right, you know, we're still doing okay, but in, in this match against Liverpool, it was finally the game where it was like, okay, they really, the world just saw the team for what it really is, and and it, it was noticeable, it was it was bad, you know, we just, we didn't look like we were set up for success. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't great, like, and, I mean, we talked about it before and alluded to it before, but Pogba was on the bench. Like, Mata, like all the creative players on that team weren't yeah. weren't on the field. Um, exactly. Like, and even the goal that they scored, it was a dumbass error by uh, Allison to kind of give right. up a bad, bad rebound. And, you know, you have to have players like that to put in a goal like Jesse Lingard did. But there wasn't any creative spark with that team that it just kind of you just kind of wonder like that's not the type of exciting football that Man U has come to be known for the brand of what Man U football is supposed to be it just it just hasn't been there so I think that was like you said the final straw and the catalyst for kind of pushing Mourinho out the door especially a big loss to a rival like that and yeah I mean, as a Liverpool fan, like we're at, we're on the top of the league, and like Man City has been probably the best team in the league so far, and the fact that Liverpool is leading the league and keeping pace with Man City is, is kind of blowing my mind, honestly. And yeah, I I think as a Liverpool fan, I'm just kind of waiting for something bad to happen, <laughs> and. Yeah, I'm you can't just, get too excited yet. Right, right. I'm <laughs> You've had hoping, too many years of uh, this is our year. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm just hoping that they're able to hold it together. But, like, I'm still resigned Like resigned to the fact that they have a pretty tough – like, it's not that they have a tough, like, Christmas game matches, but they have a bunch of games, and their depth has kind of hurt them in the past and it's taking a hit right now. Like Nathaniel Klein ended up playing that game um, against Man U and they hadn't played, he hadn't played in a long, long time. And that was because Gomez has been out or is out. He looked really uh, good though, by the way. And he did look good. (laughs) He looked good, but it's just concerning, especially with this run of games coming up with like three games coming up. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's hurt. Um, the back line's really decimated for in terms yeah, of depth for Liverpool. Like Matip ended up hurting his collarbone during during a Champions League game, so he's out. So they're basically relying on that Robertson, Van Dyke, 
Lovern and then Klein uh, back line for probably the next couple of games before Alexander Arnold could kind of rotate in. But that kind of just shows the type of depth that Liverpool has developed over the past year or so with Klopp as the manager. And if this happened, like I would say two seasons ago, they would just kind of fall apart. And I like, I would just kind of expect a lot of zero, zero games, one, one draws two one losses against subpar competition. But I feel somewhat confident with them going up against mid table team or teams that they should be. Yeah, you guys do have a really interesting schedule coming up, though, because you've got Wolves this Friday, the 21st. Um, Newcastle. It's a tricky game. Yeah, that's a tricky game. Yeah, that one's t- tricky for sure. Newcastle at home on Boxing Day. It should be straightforward. But then it's Arsenal and City. Yeah. Um, on the 29th of December and the 3rd of January. Yeah. Damn near back-to-back. And the City game is away. And those are going to be some huge matches for you guys. You talk about, um, you know, holding on to your excitement. I mean, these are exactly the kind of games that are going to, you know, set you up for the second half of the season. Yeah. Good way or, or bad way. That's why I basically held on, like held on in terms of what I thought, think about their title chances until after yeah. this New Year's period, because you just don't know what ends up happening during this New Year's period. Um, because I think there's a lot of squad rotation that's going to end up playing it. And, and at times that, that can be playing like playing with fire and that you think you have it in the bag by starting some of these rotational pieces and they haven't just, they haven't been playing soccer that much and it costs you a game. It costs you points. Um, and that can kind of, especially in this tight title race that they're in right now, that can definitely yeah. cost you the league title. So it becomes like the Arsenal Man City back to back isn't a great yeah. scheduling thing for them. But I think look for a lot of rotational uh, pieces to be put in play uh, during that Newcastle game on Boxing Day. For sure. I think you guys take care of Arsenal, but then lose away at City. That's my quick yeah. Pick. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Like, if if they're able to keep it close against Man City, I'm sure they're going to try to go for the draw. But if they are able to keep it close, I'd be pretty happy with that. But the even Bruyne long- and Aguero. So, yeah. I guess so, you guys better watch out for that. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. just quickly, talking about uh-huh. future fixtures, United, the next, like, five games are pretty straightforward, <laughs> at least on paper. So what yeah. a better time for a new interim manager, club legend, to just, like I said, run up the scoreboard and have a little fun. We've got yeah, Cardiff, because, Huddersfield, Burnmouth, and Newcastle. Yeah, so those are some easy, easier type of games that should really ease them into um, into the new year. And then they have Spurs uh, during that fifth, I think that fifth game that yeah, should kind of exactly. be the test. For That'll be yeah, like a reality check, right? Right, and see if 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 this new manager has yeah. United going in the right direction. I did also want to take time. Like, yeah, they've it's been playing, passing horizontally, laterally, backwards. They've been afraid to shoot. It seems like 
This is all uh-huh. speculative. I'm not on the training ground, but <laughs> I'm watching the games. Um, so, you know, it's, they're not just going to, you know, their first game without Mourinho is just going to be, you know, an amazing match, I'm sure. But but hopefully by the time we get to Spurs, maybe we'll have something in place. Yeah. And, I mean, I did want to also mention to maybe get away from some of the Man U Liverpool-centric talk. There was a there was a surprising game that ended up happening. I think most of the games went chalk like we thought they would, but the exciting game that I'm talking about is Southampton beating Arsenal three to two this past weekend. And yeah. I mean, it, it basically came out of nowhere because Southampton is literally at the bottom of the table right now. Um, I mean, with that win, they got out of the out of the, yeah. the cellar, um, basically. But, like, they have been struggling. And then ex-Liverpool guy Danny Ings comes through for them. Um, yeah. They, yeah. And new and, manager. Yeah, new manager for them as well. So it, it it's really fascinating and shows the depth of the Premier League and shows that any team can lose at any time of the year. And for sure. Arsenal had been on this crazy unbeaten streak that – the pundits and the media had been praising them for basically going unbeaten for like 19 games straight or whatever it had been. And at this point it places them at fifth in the league. So I don't know like how, how awesome that unbeaten streak is, or it kind of just shows the strength of how, how the top of the league is so strong right now with Liverpool, with Man City and with Tottenham. For sure, yeah, and Chelsea. Yeah, and Chelsea. So it just kind of shows. I didn't mean that as a dig to Chelsea fans or to Chelsea people <laughs> by omitting them. <laughs> They're gonna um, notice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's we're gonna yeah, get I letters. <laughs> I know, definitely getting letters from uh, Olivier Giroud as to why they're not higher up on on the rankings or whatever, or why I omitted them. But it just seems it just seems like even with that crazy stretch of games that Arsenal had. Um, and that's that's been an impressive management appointment for me. Someone that's a new guy, Unai Emery, coming from PSG, and him looking extremely comfortable at Arsenal, fulfilling the, shoe, filling the shoes of um, Arsene Wenger, who was this huge club legend for Arsenal. And maybe his tactics grew a little stale, with them but he's he's been able to fulfill that role extremely well and get he's been getting that arsenal team to play together and play well together and basically inserting the types of guys like Terrera and like uh what's his name the uh Gwadenzi? i don't know what his name is well then okay. Gwenduzi, sorry. Yeah. Gwenduzi. He's been able to insert guys like that into their squad and really utilize the strengths of Aubameyang and Lacazette um, yeah. in his 4 2 3 1 system. That's been really impressive to see. But. Yeah, I they, mean, you know, they, they can't win every game. game. Yeah. They've been on an incredible run. Um and yeah, they're what eleven points off the top now, but they're only three points behind Chelsea and fourth there. So, you know, not not detrimental to their 
season or anything, but it does ask some questions. Um, because like it you said, does. Southampton was struggling very badly, but you know, they're, they're going through some change now and it seems to be working for them as well with their new manager. Right. It really, I mean, it, it, I think there's a lot of stuff that has been working for them overall, but this is just like kind of one bump in the road. And once they sure. get better, um, acquainted with this manager, I think a lot of those consistencies will end up taking place. And um, you'll, Arsenal fans probably won't see many of these uh, shock results and uh, happening with this new manager. Exactly. So I did also want to talk about Champions League football. And I think this is where Man U fans could kind of <laughs> maybe distract themselves from from the heartache of the Premier League and maybe focus on a little bit on the Champions League. Um, I don't know if you guys are happy with the draw that you were able to get um, in the round of 16, but the matchups, the fixtures were all announced on Monday. And I just wanted to get your reactions on some of the matchups that are are going to come bear out, bear themselves out coming in. I would in the middle of February, um, and what your thoughts are on overall matchups. What's the most intriguing matchup to you, and what you think about Man U's chances are against PSG? So, in terms of the matchup, obviously we could have had such a better draw, um, especially going as far as saying that we could have somehow won the group because of the Juventus result at the final match day against Young Boys. But since we were in you know, the worst of our current slump, we couldn't get a result against Valencia. So we finished second, setting us up for you know less favorable opponent in the knockout round. So getting PSG, obviously not ideal. Um, one of the best teams in the world with two of the absolute best players in the world right now, and um, Neymar and Mbappe. So that's going to be tough. Um, you guys, you know, had them in the group, so you know what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not honestly loving our chances of getting past this round. Um, <laughs> I mean, you saw, like I said, you saw the way we played against you know, Valencia, and um, although we were able to get that result against Juventus, that was pretty lucky to be fair like that mm-hmm. it was not really the way that the game was going but um i think it was you know tim howard who said that doesn't matter because as long as you got the result that's that's what we're here for so you know anything could happen obviously but i'm saying that we're probably going to get knocked out against psg in terms of the most exciting and matchups before before you move sorry yeah, yeah, before you move down to that I did want to talk about a little bit, like, I think Man U has you think we're gonna a win? shot. <laughs> no, I don't think you guys are going to win, but I think you guys have a shot. I think the worry for me yeah, we have is, a chance. yeah, the, I think the worry for me is on the outside, like uh, the wing spot and whether or not Man U's bat, fullbacks can keep up with someone like Mbappe and um, Neymar, which is probably well, yeah. the struggle. But I think... I think in the middle of the field is where some of the weakness might be able to come or is going to come into play for yeah. PSG. Um, and I think if 
Pogba plays up to the potential that he has, that can mitigate a lot of the stuff that goes on in the middle of the field. Yeah. I mean, um, our defense this year has been atrocious. We've already conceded more goals um, in the first half of the season than we did the entirety of last season. Right. Um, I saw that so, stat as well. Yeah. yeah Crazy. Uh, when you get players of that ability at PSG shooting and dribbling through us, I'm sure they're going to be able to to um, score some goals against us. But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not counting this out by any means. But if I had to put money on it, I probably wouldn't put money on United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I, I mean, I think there's three other matchups that are pretty intriguing to me, at least. Oh, yeah. The Juventus-Atletico Madrid matchup. The Liverpool Bayern yep. matchup and then Tottenham oh, Dort- Tottenham Dortmund is gonna be all fire matchups, including the PSG yeah. like PSG menu, I think uh the name brand brand recognition. Yeah, I mean that, if that's we, gonna if be an exciting matchup. That would be a hell of a game, but yeah, I don't wanna say anything yet because I have no idea how we're gonna be playing now with uh, <laughs> with Solskjaer on on up there. Right, right. Um yeah, but the Liverpool Bayern matchup I'm not crazy about. I mean, I would have yeah, loved to have. You guys Porto didn't get a great or, draw either. <laughs> yeah, would have loved to have Porto or um, another team. Honestly, like Dortmund. Um, even though Dortmund's ahead of Bayern in the in the Bundesliga right now. Yeah. I think what a lot of people have to realize, though, is that these games are in February, and. I think that got a little bit lost in the shuffle because a lot of people that I was speaking to when ranking the teams were going based off of current form. And obviously that's all you can really go off of. And since Bayern's been struggling a little bit in the league, after Porto and Dortmund, I think they were naturally the third team that a lot of people wanted to play between them or Real Madrid. And I was like, I mean, those are some heavy hitters there. I don't, I wouldn't want to play either of those teams, but if I had to choose, I had Bayern at number three as well, because the way um, it worked out for Liverpool, they weren't able to play Man City. They weren't able to play PSG. So it was kind of choose your poison after Porto and Dortmund. It would have been either between Juventus, Barcelona, Bayern and Real and at that point I was just like give me Bayern and at that and we'll kind of roll the dice there yeah Um, that's true I mean they've definitely struggled in the league like a lot of their players are a little bit older um, for them and especially um, at the wing position so they're not as deadly as in years past but they do have that Champions League type of experience Oh, so, yeah. so that's and that's still going to be there. Definitely worrisome. I think the one positive is that Klopp has played this Bayern team multiple times with his uh, with his time at Dortmund, so he understands the way this team somewhat plays. So he can kind oh, of yeah. game plan. He'll be familiar with that, right? He'll be familiar with a lot of the players on the Bayern team, so that. I would say an advantage as well. My, I think my worry is whether or not um, Liverpool is able to hold up defensively. And I think that's just, that's just going to be the story of 
this whole Champions League fixture. That first game, Van Dyke, because of yellow card accumulation, he's going to be missing that game. So that's mm-hmm. a huge loss for Liverpool. Um, oh, yeah. And th- that first game is at Anfield, I believe. So that's going to yeah. be – it's going to be imperative that, Anf- or that Liverpool ends up getting a win there. And I'm kind of worried about what it looks like defensively with Van Dyke missing the game. Yeah. And um, in terms of surprising results, I think I think my shock result of the round is going to be Real going down to Ajax. <laughs> Ooh, wow! I'm gonna call it now. Fascinating. Yeah, this Real's been kind of all over the place the past couple months. Yeah, um, they have been. Definitely not the same team that they have been um, for the past, you know, five six years they've been pretty much dominating the Champions League so I think that's going to be a shock result and I do think they have frailties and I think Ajax is a decent team and it's going to give them a run for their money yeah I mean Ajax does have like this decent young team that I think yeah, they just really like know they how always to play. do historically yeah. yeah yeah they know how to play with each other it'll be fascinating if they can get the win against uh, a Madrid team and Madrid's definitely been struggling Real's been struggling uh, with the departure of Ronaldo, I think they they're trying to find their identity post yeah. Ronaldo. Um, and Zidane, so, yeah, and Zidane. So they're trying to figure out how to play without this immense talent on the wing, where they could have just kind of like basically thrown the ball up to him and yeah. asked them to do stuff. Where whereas now they kind of have to rely on the team as a whole. Um, so it's not too much of a one man show. I think it's a I think that's a fascinating upset pick. Um I would I would definitely be shocked by it, but at the same time with if Real continues to struggle to yeah. to February, who knows what ends up happening and it always gets tricky in these in these fixtures. Yeah. I think that'll be one to watch though. Um, other other than that, I think it's probably going to be you know pretty close matches. I mean, City's probably going to take Schalke. Um, Barcelona should handle Lyon pretty straightforwardly. Mm-hmm. The the tricky ones are obviously you know that Tottenham, Dortmund, Liverpool, Bayern, Juve, Atletico, which will be really exciting. Yeah, and I mean, I think you mentioned so you mentioned Schalke, you mentioned Dortmund, and I mean, I did want to touch upon this before I let you go. Um, I think the last time you came on, it's been a while, and we're talking about the U.S. men's national team, all this stuff. They finally hired a coach in Greg Berhalter from Columbus, from the Columbus Crew. Um, There you go. Right, the local team over there um, in in Ohio, and and um, he's their new coach. It seems like he wants to play a very possession based type of soccer. I'm kind of curious to see what these players play like in Weston McKinney at Schalke because he'll be probably getting on the field for them and what Christian Pulisic look like um, in these huge Champions League matchups. And that's the future of the national team. And I wonder how they're able to handle the pressure. But I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Greg Berhalter and the hire uh, for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, I think it's great. He's done a really good job with Columbus, um, and it's too bad for them to see him leaving, as well as um, their goalie, 
Steffen. Zach Steffen. Yep. He's That's another interesting City. thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the U.S. national team, I'm interested to see how he works with the squad in terms of his selection. Um, because that's something that's been very much up in the air over the last year, uh, the different squads that have been getting picked for various friendlies and different games. Um, huge um, groups of younger guys with uh, you know just a handful of some of the more veteran players. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to pretty much just start with a clean slate. And I hope that's what continues to happen over the next um, over the next year as he starts um, so he can actually get a group together, play together, get to know each other, get that chemistry up. Um, and then hopefully we can, you know, be back in contention for the next world cup. Right. And I think that's, that's obviously the hope. I, I mean, I've yeah. listened to a bunch of interviews about him taking the U S men's national team job. I really like the things that he's saying, um, the way he wants to play uh, more possession based, yeah. I, I really like some of the the goals and the objectives that he has for the team. It's just all about whether or not he can put it together because Jurgen Klinsmann had the same goals. And that's yeah. I think that's the the hard part about trying to fit right. this type of system in in the US and if you don't have the players to do it that don't usually do that on the on a regular basis, it's just harder and harder to implement. So it's, I'm basically excited to kind of see what ends up happening next summer at the Gold's Cup and yeah. with his first real U.S. men's yeah. national team. Um, because I basically, we haven't seen the men's national team play a meaningful game since like last year before, before right. the World's Cup, uh, during World's Cup qualifiers. So, I'm kind of curious just to see what ends up happening with that. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of soccer news. Like, we we didn't even touch on, like, the U.S. women's national team, their World Cup um, title defense coming yeah. up next next year with the group state groups coming out um, since, I, I mean, since the last time we talked. Um, so when we get closer to the Women's World Cup starting this summer, we'll definitely touch upon that, talk about that, talk about Tyler's love for the U.S. Women's National Team because he's probably one of the biggest fans that I know of the U.S. Women's National yeah, Team. Yeah, they're the only ones carrying, keeping soccer alive in this country, man. <laughs> I know, seriously, I know. They're they're really keeping keeping us alive and carrying the torch for the U.S. for the U.S. Um, soccer federation itself so i've been pleasantly happy watching them play not so much the u.s men's national team over the past <laughs> couple of years um and quickly before we actually finish the podcast um because i know it's running late tyler little transition for me for you from football to american football yes sir what are what are your feelings on Tennessee Titans making the playoffs? They're sitting at eight and six right now, currently outside the playoff picture, um, but they're Just well, 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 <laughs> well in the thick of things right now. Um, they're tied on record with the Baltimore Ravens sitting at eight and six. Them, the Miami Dolphins are sitting at eight, I believe seven and seven right now, um, one game behind. 
handicap the, I guess, chances of the Titans making the playoffs? How about them Titans, huh? Um, Because they have a huge game against the Colts that week 17. um, Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the last regular season game. And they're playing the Redskins um, this this Saturday, actually. Right. Um, So, I honestly like our wild card chances. I'm going to go ahead and say it because something happened uh, two games ago. I've honestly been waiting for since I <laughs> used to watch Mr. Derrick Henry march down the field for Alabama every single time he got the ball. <laughs> um, and that is, it seems like he's finally been, been given some plays to actually utilize his strengths. And I'm like, wow, why did this take us so long? But thank God it's finally happening. I mean, the game against the Jaguars, they have four touchdowns. In the one game, he ran for 99-yard touchdown. Um, by the way, during that run, he like threw uh, like three defenders to the ground because he's massive. Yeah, that was a pretty <laughs> and also run. quick. Um, yeah. So honestly, it seems like they're just now getting the best out of him at like the perfect time to legitimately make a run at the playoffs. So I say I like the odds. Let's let's go for it. Um, I don't know about you know, anything past the first round, but um, I think, I think we can get in the playoffs again this year. Yeah. And I mean, it's all going to be determined by these last two games, obviously. And that Indianapolis game is going to be huge. Um, I've been on the record um, as having Indianapolis going into the playoffs, just because I trust (laughs) Andrew Luck a little bit more, but I wanted to get the perspective of a true Titans fan. Um, They had some, they had a cool celebration last week of doing the Remember the Titans dance. Um, oh, yeah. That celebration. So that was kind of fun to see. Derrick Henry's been on fire. So it's been a lot of interesting stuff in the world of sports. So um, definitely want to get your quick take on that, Tyler. And I'm super thankful that you're able to come on, uh, dish out your takes on Jose Mourinho and Manu and where they're headed. Um for the rest of this year and then years to come. Yeah, man, it's great to be back once again. You know, I had to just scream from the highest windows and mountaintops about Jose getting out of there finally. So <laughs> this this timing worked out really well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep an eye on those Titans, and you never know. <laughs> yeah, and for, and for all our listeners that have been listening, been asking me about the theme song, um, at the beginning of every single podcast that I've been posting, it's actually this man right here that's been that's uh, laying down Fun some fact. bars, laying down that, some bars. So that was him back in college. That is, yep. So back um, in the uh, back in the glory days, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. Can't believe it. JBKO. That was that was that was the home right there. Um, oh so, yeah. Um, yeah. So. I'm I'm super thankful that Tyler's been able to come on, contribute a lot to this podcast, provided the theme song for the podcast. So uh, all this thanks to Tyler and um, definitely be on the lookout for more podcasts um, as we talk about the NFL playoff picture that ends up finishing up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll be there to break down, break that down for you guys. And we'll definitely be able to be, 
on the lookout for what happens with Man U post-Mourinho. So be on the lookout for that after uh, the Cardiff game this week. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. And thanks again, Tyler, for coming back on.